3: you <laughs>
0: To state the room was full of a motley of strange individuals would be an understatement. Unlike their guide, Alaric, the individuals sitting at the long black marble table were not shy about their countenances. What Wesley saw lining the table was nothing less than a fusion of biology and man's worst fears of technological advancement. Eyes were replaced with glowing mechanical apertures, bionic appendages gesticulated with grace and lethality. Muscle and skin seamlessly merged with metal and alien alloys, and bodies pulsed with an artificial vigor. In two corners loomed the chimerith, their eyes fixed on our group with a cold but feral reserve. Sal summed it up best. Holy. Fucking. Shit. The beings at the table looked at the group of men with stern gazes, stares that pierced like needles. Their stoicism was palpable, a presence in and of itself. Silence hung in the room like a dead man from a rope, tension permeating the room. Finally, one of them spoke.
4: Come, come. sit with us,
0: please. The group began to move, and an audible, deep growl echoed from the other side of the room. One of the women at the table turned to the hulking beast in the corner.
4: Mind yourself, Arcos. We are with friends.
0: The beast's growls became subdued, but its eyes still combed over the group with wanton malice. There was a sense of intelligence about them, Wesley could tell. A kind of cunningness that belied their size and muscular exterior. They weren't just brutes, but calculating things. Wesley wondered how these belfing controlled them.
2: There are many ways to train a dog, little Wesley. But I imagine they forge some sort of psychic bond with them. Probably via their strange technology.
0: Have you... I don't know. Have you seen this technology before?
2: I've seen many technologies over the eons. But I can't say I've seen this one.
0: Moffat was the first to move, confidently strolling over to a chair and sitting.
2: Come, gentlemen. Let's not
0: keep our hosts waiting. It looks like they have their servants under control. Sal, Wesley, and Voren looked at one another, shrugged their shoulders, and walked over to the table. Alaric followed, taking a seat near his fellow Gloros. There was quiet for a moment, and Alaric motioned to his colleagues. Gentlemen,
1: let me introduce you to my fellow peers. To my right is Callista of Ferragoth.
0: Ferragoth? Uh, I I thought we were in Destra.
1: Ferragoth is a specific district in Destra. You see, we all preside over a particular section of the city. It is
0: the most efficient way to govern. The group nodded and let Alaric continue.
1: To the side of her is Metok of Zarkosa. Across from him is Edric of Vesper, and finally to your left is Ravina of Belswigs. Together we are the
0: five Gloros of Destra. Each of the Gloros was as unique as they were as strange. A waterfall of black hair fell to the side of Callista's face, the rest of which was pallid and decorated with calligraphic tattoos. When Wesley looked closer at her eyes, they glowed slightly, a kind of electric vermilion. Her visible hand rested upon the table, an amalgamation of pale flesh and some sort of onyx metal. Other biomechanical appendages seemed to move beneath her sprawling sapphire cloak. She had a stern look about her, a face carved from marble. The man next to her was a Picasso of bionics. He wore an ashen mask from which two cobalt orbs beamed. His head was bald, but for the coils and tubes that snaked out of it, each carrying a mystery of chemicals to some other part of his body. The rest of the man was concealed under an ocean of red fabric, upon which were gold-embroidered symbols... Wesley couldn't get a good look at the other two, but from what he did see, they were equally ghastly. Finally, Alaric took down his hood, and Wesley could see the man he'd been speaking with for the past hour. His visage was a cross between human and reptile, scales crossing his face, eyes jaundiced with long black slits cutting down their center. His hair was more like tendrils, tentacle-like things that seemed to move of their own volition. Inside his mouth was the hint of long, viper-like fangs, which suddenly stuck out even when his mouth was shut. Salvatore audibly gasped as the man could not hold back his reactions.
1: <gasps> yes, I imagine our appearances may be jarring, but you'll get used to them in time.
0: The group collected themselves for a moment, adjusting to the inhuman facades sitting across and beside them. Finally, Foren spoke. Did the people before us meet all of you?
4: Yes, although their circumstances were different, as I'm sure you've been told. But tell me, what brings you to Gion? Why did your people come here?
0: Your continent, uh, Grimlet, er, uh, Gion, appeared in our ocean after a... Uh, what you would call a global disaster. We wished to explore it, see what was here.
4: Interesting. Your predecessors were unaware of any such event. or well, they didn't mention it to us. Although, they did say they came from a place called Earth. Which is where I presume you four come from, yes? Yes, that is quite correct.
0: And tell me, how much do you know of where we come from? Only what your people told us. However, if you're asking us if we
1: are aware of Gion's strange cycles, we are. Most believe we exist within the cores of the Serpent's great body, sycophants, or... Gion, for whatever reason, spans the spheres, traveling from one world to another. We've attempted to map out a timeline, a method of predicting its... transitions. However, the process seems to be random. Our guess is that it's relayed to the Nocument, the
0: Prince's blood somehow catalyzing him into dimensional schism, causing Gion to shift between realities. So, you don't worship the Prince of Snakes? Venerate him?
4: <laughs> we do not. However, we are not stupid. He is a being of great power, in even greater sway. He is our forebearer, after all. But aren't all fathers meant to be surpassed by their offspring?
0: If you're his children, why, why are you in conflict with Amara, then? Wouldn't that make you all related? Siblings?
1: Families do not always see eye to eye, my friend. Amara and the rest of Gion see us as abominations. Even the followers of the last Interfectorum show us. But it is of little concern. We will not be bound by our bloodline. We're transcendent.
0: Wesley nodded. He was trying to find a way to bring up the machine the Umbarian had mentioned, but he didn't want to trigger any distrust. Instead, he decided to flirt with the subject matter to see if they might divulge the information of their own accord. I'm curious. In the fifteen years you've been on Earth, no one on Gion has even attempted to explore our world. Why is that?
4: The answer varies. Some simply aren't aware of it. But superstition drives much of the people of Gion. They believe moving beyond the coils of the Serpent is sacrilegious, a sign of abandonment of their god. Others fear what lies beyond afraid they would no longer be protected by their lord. For us, however, it is a matter of practicality. We are at war and cannot afford to send our remaining forces on an expedition that may or may not be fruitful.
0: While Wesley was glad that the forces of Gremlin were not motivated to invade his home, he was disappointed that they did not mention the machine. Of course, if they did intend to invade his world, they wouldn't tell him. Still, he was hoping for some reference to the thing He and the others would have to find an alternative, he supposed. And tell me, why do the others find you so abhorrent? Our unwillingness to stagnate. You see, they believe
1: our advancements, are blasphemous attempts to undo the Prince's gifts. Likewise, they see our creations as bastardizations of our Father's power. Attempts to usurp his rightful places. God. And you disagree?
4: Fervently. I'm sure by now you've heard some of the Prince's exploits. Did he seem like the kind of being who limited his potential? Did he shy away from the acquisition of power? No, he sought it, embraced it, took it. No, my dear sir, we are the true children of the Prince of Snakes, for we are most like him, relentless in our pursuits.
0: Wesley and the others shared glances, disturbed by this recent comment. They quickly regained their composure, except for Moffat, who didn't seem taken aback by the statement. On that topic... I am quite curious how you've come to make these modifications, not to mention these Chimerith. It is all, quite frankly, a marvel to behold. Our friend Alaric here has been a bit tight-lipped about it. Tell me, is it a unique form of bioethereal engineering, a form of new crypto technology? It was the Gloros' turn to look at one another, collectively trying to decide what to say. Finally, the one who had yet to speak, Ravina, answered.
3: It is not simply a technology, it is our way of life. Our sciences, our sacred crafts, are not for others to know. They may behold and stand in awe, but they may not comprehend them. That knowledge is ours, and ours alone. You understand, of course.
0: Quite understandable. My intention was not to pry, of course, only to grasp your culture. The point of this meeting is to get to know one another, is it not? Of course, of course. While we keep our secrets close, that is not to insinuate that we cannot have
1: a meaningful exchange of information, I would welcome you to peruse the Sacramethenium. It contains written records of our history, those parts of it we wish to write down, that is. We can also show you our manufactorials to give you an idea of some of our most recent projects. Perhaps with time we can show you more. That is generous of you, but if I may ask, what's your interest in us?
4: As we said before, We've never had the opportunity to explore the other spheres, but that doesn't mean we'll reject knowledge when it lands on our laps. We can learn a great deal from each other. Your predecessors told us much about your world. We would like to continue that conversation with you."
0: We would very much like that, but... Wesley paused for a moment, trying to choose his words carefully. Do you have a means of perhaps bringing us back to our home? The Council looked at one another, an indiscernible expression on their bizarre faces. Finally, Alaric spoke.
1: We do have ships, although it will take some time to ready them. However, in the meantime, we can collaborate, yes?
0: A surge of relief washed over Wesley like a cool stream. It was as if he was on fire all this time and someone else finally extinguished the flames. It wasn't the exact answer he sought, but it was a way home. He wondered how the Ambarian would take the news, as the ships weren't transdimensional. But the Ambarian wasn't holding up its end of the bargain, so he wasn't exactly sympathetic to their plight at the moment. That sounds good to me. What about the rest of you? Salvatore and Vorin nodded their agreement. However, Moffat continued to speak. Might we be able to take a tour tomorrow of these facilities? I am eager to see the Sacramathenium and Manufactorium you've discussed. They do seem quite intriguing. Of course. We'll have
1: someone guide you through the archives and show you some of our facilities. In the meantime, I'm sure you're hungry and thirsty. Argos and Damius will escort you to where you'll be staying.
0: Alaric gestured to the two behemoths standing stoically in the corner, their eyes set upon the group, dark contemplations whirling behind their eyes. Uh, yeah, you, you sure that's such a good idea? I mean...
4: Worry not. They will not harm you, but only safely escort you to your accommodations. You have our word. Thank you. The
0: council got up from their seats and went their separate ways, each with a pair of Chimerith waiting for them outside the chambers. Meanwhile, the two juggernauts, Arcos and Damius, gestured for the group to follow them. They did so without hesitance, not wanting to raise the ire of the two monstrous creatures. Together, they walked through the city, their guides silent except for their monstrous breathing. Wesley forgot to ask what district they were in, but he assumed they were in Alarics, given he was the one to greet them. He noticed that Arcos and Damius were larger than many of the other chimeras he saw wandering the city. He wondered if they were of another make or species. But each one seemed to defy any kind of categorization, no genus or phylum to separate them into. Arcos was muscle piled atop muscle. A huge crimson mane encircling his face like some demonic lion, his skin was green with strange red sigils crisscrossing his massive chest. An arsenal of teeth lived in his mouth, and his eyes were a kind of electric amber. The thing's hands were adorned with serrated metallic claws that clicked subtly as his fingers crest one another. The other creature, Damius, was about the same size, although hunched a bit, making it appear smaller than Arcos. It wore an oversized gray hood, so its face was indiscernible but for two sapphire orbs glowing in the darkness. It was adorned with tattoos similar to Arcos, though they were laid out differently. Its arms had strange stone-like structures erupting from them, occasionally lighting up with arcs of electric brilliance. Its hands were a cross between flesh and granite, gigantic things that could crush a man whole. Together, the Ponderous Two led them through the strange amalgam city until they came upon a large stone building. The place was quite posh, with Corinthian-like pillars holding a grand archway that led to massive oaken doors. Arcos pointed one of his gigantic plated fingers towards the entranceway,
2: and surprisingly spoke. Go through there, and you will be greeted by several servants. They will cater to whatever your needs may be.
0: We will retrieve you in the morning for your tour. Be ready. With that, the two giants lumbered into the dark disappearing behind a wall of rolling fog. Well, aren't those two fucking chipper? Moffat walked ahead. Shall we? The men walked ahead and opened the giant doors, which moaned from disuse. The place was strangely opulent, ornate chandelier-like fixtures hung from the ceiling, spreading a warm, amber light throughout the room. The furniture was sleek and anthropomorphic, an elegant cross between modernism and art nouveau. The floor was polished marble, or a stone resembling it, and the walls were adorned with macabre art. Many depicted wasted landscapes, the skies rolling with thunderheads, titanic shapes drifting beneath them. Others seemed to be depictions of bizarre monuments and landmarks giant pylons reaching as high as the blackened sky, mountains with houses carved from their stone bodies, crowds of deformed citizenry being drowned in black, tarry waters. He recognized one of them from the home of the worshippers of the Last Interfectorum, a depiction of a giant black monolith casting a darksome shadow. This silhouette functioned as a chasm, with villages and people falling into its depths. It made Wesley realize how full of wonder the place was, how, among all the misery, there was a beautiful mystery to it all. But then he remembered all the people who died, Riva, and everything this place had taken from him. Before he could ponder any longer, a voice called to him.
2: Is there anything I can do for you, sir? Take your bags to your room, perhaps?
0: When Wesley turned around, he saw a hooded figure that seemed more machine than man. Its eyes whirred, moving in and out like the aperture of a camera lens. The man had a pallor about him, as if he were made from a corpse. A multitude of mechanical arms moved about, gesticulating with a seasoned grace. One of them handed him a drink, gently placing it into his hand.
2: A drink before I go, sir.
0: Um, what is it?
2: Based on your genetic profiles and the information bequeathed to us by your predecessors, we've come up with what we believe is an adequate and enjoyable beverage for you and yours. Of course, we'd be happy to make any modifications.
0: Wesley took the drink into his hand, deliberated for a second and then drank. The liquid slid down his gullet, smooth and cold. It tasted good. Thank you. The servitor creature walked off, carrying the cumbersome weight he'd been lugging around for what seemed like forever. Wesley looked to the rest of his companions. They were similarly enjoying their drinks, perusing the new accommodations. Wesley walked over to the others. What are your thoughts? About what? You know, this. The whole thing. The bell fiend, The gloros. The story about our supposed predecessors. What do you all think? Well, the creepiest shit and those Chimeri Or whatever the fuck they're called. Don't give me the warm and fuzzies. But, uh, I have to admit I'm digging the new sleeping arrangements.
1: To be honest, I'm not sure. If they wanted us dead, they would have done it by now.
0: I'm not saying they're to be trusted. But they seem to need us for... Something right now. Moffat, what do you think? Moffat looked about for a second, his mind wandering off somewhere. I think we should see where it goes. They'll be showing us their facilities and library tomorrow. Let's see what that bears out, shall we? On their topic, why were you so eager to know about their technology, see their facilities and whatnot? As they said, it's their culture. It's how they define themselves. Start to understand their technology, we start to understand them. Simple as that. Wesley looked at Moffat with a stern and suspicious glare. He's
2: fucking lying. I can smell the deceit on his breath. He knows something. Squeeze it out of his fucking lungs.
0: Nothing is ever that simple with you, Cyrus. What are you after? Are we going to go through this again, Dr. Morrigan? I am capable of having ideas outside my prognostications, you know. It's a reasonable approach, Wesley. Aren't you being a bit unfair? Wesley glared at Moffat again, his eyes sinking into the black holes of his pupils. Moffat stared back, a shit-eating grin crossing his face. Wesley threw up his hands and made his way upstairs, the pearly white smile of Moffat stuck in his brain. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at Maltopia.com.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.